Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, a slapshot version. Today's topic, serfdom in Russia in the 18th and 19th centuries. One of the things that's really intriguing about Russian history is its people, and not just the elite. Um, one of the sad things also about Russian history is how most of the people, the full 90% of the population of Russia, were enslaved. They were serfs. These people were tied to the land, tied to masters. Uh, they went through horrible times. And to, to think of the numbers here, when Peter the Great took over, there were about 11 million people, and 90%, about 9 million, were serfs. By the end of the time when Nicholas I came about, this is before Alexander, there were about 60 million people, or about 54 million people who were enslaved. So there were a lot of uprisings. There was the Ivan Bolotnikov rising, uprising in 1606, Stenka Razin, which we've talked about in the past. There was Kondraty Bolavin, and of course the famous one, Yemelyan Pugachev, during the time of Catherine the Great. But there are some things that I'd like to, to read to you from uh, the history uh, of these people and some of the uh, rules and instructions that were given from the, their owners, uh, how they were treated, uh, what they had to do and to live through. Uh, the first one is uh, landlord instructions on estate administration. This is from the late 18th century. And from uh, the instructions of an, uh, a surf owner, I.I. Shuvalov. Now concerning the bailiff, uh, the bailiff is a person who took over and controlled basically everything that went around in the uh, the estates, you know, the agricultural estates there. And here uh, Shuvalov says, the bailiff must be chosen for his post with the prior approval of the commune and with my consent. He will be fully entrusted by me to administer the entire estate and to administer justice to the peasants without prejudice or oppression, and he must give a good account of himself in all respects before me. Now, others who were in this area were controlling the serfs, be the deputy, the elder, there were clerks, but then there were also peasant representatives who would, you know, try to tell their story of what's going on with their people. And this was some of the more enlightened uh, owners. Uh, one part uh, concerning the equal distribution of land. The land must be distributed so that one village will not have an excess of land while another has too little in order that each village can pay taxes on it without falling into arrears. Now concerning fugitive peasants, fugitive and passportless peasants must not be kept anywhere on my estate under any circumstances. And if such should be found with any of my peasants, the latter must answer for it himself in the proper place without expecting any help from me. Very serious here. Another one concerning unmarried girls. Girls who have not reached, who have reached the age of 20 should not be kept at home by their fathers, but should be given away in marriage without waiting for me to force them into marriage, which would run counter to the will of the father and of the bride. 20 years old, you're gone. If you uh, have ever seen the movie or the play Fiddler on the Roof, you'll see them in the Ukraine where they're all trying to marry off their daughters. Uh, here's one considering from uh, V.G. Orlov, 
uh, concerning permission to give maidens and widows away to outsiders in marriage, and concerning those who do not marry. It is highly necessary for all girls of marriageable age and bachelors who have achieved manhood to enter into marriage. This is an act pleasing to God. It safeguards morality and wards off many vices. When a girl reaches the age of 20, the eldest in the family should give her away in marriage. If upon expiration of the allotted time the girl is not married, penalties should be exacted yearly. 25 rubles from a household of moderate means and 50 rubles from a wealthy family. The poor who are unable to pay should be punished at the discretion of the authorities. Bachelors 25 years of age and older who are not yet married should be dealt with in the same way as unmarried girls. Widows are likewise subject to this rule. So we see that there's a real control over what you can and cannot do as a, a serf. Uh, in 1797, we have a proclamation uh, forbidding Sunday labor by serfs. They would work seven days a week, every day of the year. <clears throat> we proclaim to all our loyal subjects, the law of God given to us in the Ten Commandments teaches us to devote the seventh day of the week to him. Therefore, on this day, made famous by the triumph of the Christian faith, and on which we were honored to receive the holy anointing, and were crowned Tsar on the throne of our forefathers, we deem it our duty before our Maker and the bearer of all blessings to confirm that this law must be observed exactly and without fail throughout our empire, and we command one and all to see that no one, under any pretext, dares to force serfs to work on Sundays. All the more so because for agricultural production in the six remaining days of the week, which are in general equally distributed between serfs' labor for themselves and their labor due to the landlords, should, with good management, be sufficient to satisfy all economic needs. And this edict was given down by uh, Paul I. So it was something, you know, of a, this is considered very liberal in the time, a real big change. Uh, a lot of nobles were not happy with Paul because of it, but nonetheless, the rule came. Now, there's some really disturbing things. These people could be sold, even though there were edicts saying that they should not be, but this is what happened. And here's some newspaper advertisements in the reign of Paul I. For sale, a waiter, 25 years old, with his wife and a minor son. A very good weaver can also shave and draw blood. The wife can look after the mistress and is capable of any work. Also for sale in the same place, a carriage, not much used, of the best workmanship. They were selling people, just as they would common carriages. There's another one. At house number 352, fourth block, sixth ward, there are for sale a good hairdresser for men and women, height above average, a fairly good figure, also useful as a valet for the bedroom. Waiter or footman, 27 years old. His wife, 24 years old, a laundress and needlewoman, with a daughter over two years old, both of good conduct, lowest price for the lot, 1,000 rubles. Now here's one I think was kind of the most disturbing of all. For sale, three horses, two bay stallions, four years old, of English breed, well matched, of good size, and a dark bay gelding, three years old, also of English breed, they can be seen in inquiry made about the price at house number 260, block 1, ward 8. 
In the same house, there is for sale a musician who plays the bassoon and is beginning to sing in a bass voice, very well trained in reading and writing. Fifteen years old. Just as an afterthought, almost, for selling horses. The last one, we'll skip over a little bit of what Alexander did. And the reason I'm doing this podcast, uh, one, I didn't have enough time to get a truly good podcast on the beginning of Alexander's time. Uh, my real job uh, is taking me out of uh, the state, and I have to do a presentation for a group next week. But I'll have enough time to finish it up while I'm flying across country. Uh, Alexander wanted to free the slaves, slaves and serfs in his mind, uh, but he knew that this was going to be very difficult. And, you know, with the death of his father, he knew that if you were going to get the uh, nobles and the, you know, the, the top people upset at you because you're freeing their slaves, he may suffer the same fate, fate as uh, his father did. Uh, but I want to read a, a speech by Nicholas, his, the uh, next in line after Alexander, and this was in 1842, to really understand, you know, we're at 1801 right now with the ascension of uh, Alexander to the throne, and this is 41 years later. So here's Emperor Nicholas I on serfdom. There is no question that serfdom in its present state in our country is an evil, palpable, and obvious to everyone. However, to attack it now would be of course, an even more disastrous evil. Emperor Alexander I, of blessed memory, who had intended at the beginning of his reign to grant freedom to the serfs, later himself abandoned this idea as still entirely premature and impossible to fulfill. His Majesty, likewise, will never venture to do it, feeling that the time when it can be undertaken is still quite distant. Any thought of it at present period would be merely a criminal infringement upon the public peace and welfare of the state. But we must not conceal from ourselves the fact that current ideas are not the same as those that existed previously, and it is clear to every reasonable observer that the present situation cannot last forever. The most important reasons for this change in ideas and the ever more frequent unrest in recent times must be attributed in the main. First, to the imprudence of the landlords themselves who give their serfs more education than is appropriate for their status, thereby developing in them a new range of ideas and making their position still more burdensome. And second, to the fact that certain landlords, although, thank God, only a small minority of them, employ their power evilly, forgetting their noble duty, and the marshals of the nobility, as many of them have reported to his majesty, can find no way of halting these abuses under the law, which places virtually no restrictions upon the power of the landowners. There must be no emancipation, but it is necessary to open a path to another transitional state, linking it with the inviolable preservation of patrimonial ownership of the land. Imagine this. These people could do whatever they wanted. So there was these two different ideas coming from Nicholas. One, don't want to educate the people too much, they might think. And if they think, they might not want to stay. Two, that there are people who are abusing them, and there's no laws to stop the abuse. I think this was very, very serious. And just five years later, uh, a report from the Ministry of Internal Affairs on Surf Disorders from 1847. 
The disorders on the estates of landlords were more persistent and serious than those of preceding years, although the number of instances was somewhat smaller. In 1845, insubordination occurred on 26 estates. In 1846, on 25, and in 1847, on 23 estates and 16 gubernaries. The causes of these disorders were oppression of the peasants and overburdening them with work on the part of the owners. But the main reason for the insubordination among the peasants of the landlords was the desire for freedom. The aspiration to acquire freedom, aroused by various absurd rumors, resulted in the persistent insubordination and violence among the peasants of the landlords on 15 estates and prompted more than 11,000 peasants to, free, to flee. Now, it wasn't for another 14 years in 1861 that in a major agrarian reform a proposal done by Alexander II that they were freed, but many couldn't afford to go anywhere. Uh, it was pretty, you know, long period from the Kievian Rus time when the Mongols attacked to this period of 1861 where you had 90% of the population as slaves. So anyway, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I will definitely have uh, the continuation of our regular podcast next week. Uh, when we start the reign of Alexander I, the most enigmatic of all the Russian Tsars. Again, if uh, you're interested, join us on the Russian Rulers podcast uh, Facebook fan club site and uh, join the sometimes spirited uh, discussions and suggestions. I do have a, a plan for a, another Slapshot edition of the podcast on the greatest general of uh, Russian history and possibly one of the greatest generals in world history, uh, General Suvorov, who never lost a battle and had actually beaten some of Napoleon's troops in Italy and uh, during the Napoleonic era. So we'll go over him. I'm still trying to get some more information about the person. So I hope you all enjoyed that. And uh, as always, das vidanya, spasiba Bolshoya.